0: This morning I invite you to turn to 1 Peter, and I know that we have some folks we haven't seen for a little bit, and some we guess, and that uh, as well as some of you have been traveling, so I need to back up a little bit and come into 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 13 and following. We're really getting into the middle of a sentence, so it does us well to review it together anyway, uh, so we get the thought and we can carry it forward into its development Uh, Here uh, in today's message, if you will, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, God's word declares, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as is of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And We'll stop there this morning. We have looked at the main thrust of this passage is to gird up the loins of your mind, that we are to take God's word and engage our intellect with it, that we might have an understanding of it, but it is much more than that, that we might allow God's word to direct our thinking, not only what we think about the content of it, but the manner of it, that we will engage it not from the from the philosophies or from the perspectives of the world, but that we will do it from the perspectives of God, that we will consider the decisions that confront us, the information that confronts us uh, on a daily basis, not with what is convenient to me, not according to my feelings, what I feel is right for me, uh, but what I know. That I've engaged God's word and therefore I have an absolute standard that I can use to evaluate all that encompasses me of what manner of living I am going to engage in. That this is not about how you feel about things, it is what you know. Gird up the loins of your mind, strengthen your mind. And it says we're going to have to do this soberly, we're going to have to do this in a serious manner. That while the world wants to entertain you into oblivion, God's word calls you to soberness, which is the opposite of entertainment. Entertainment simply wants you to shut off all filters and all substantial thinking and just wander off mentally. God's word calls you to be sharpened mentally, to engage this. And yes, it is, it is a serious thing. And while churches are out there trying to entertain, we want to be sober, serious-minded to engage God's word. Does that mean we're not allowed to smile ever? Uh, no, that's not what it means. Uh, There is lots of joy in the service of the Lord, and it should be expressed frequently on your face and in your life. Uh, But that is joy is very different than entertainment. Entertainment is empty. Joy is full. So we want that fullness there, and that full joy is built not upon a passing event, but rather upon truth. Truth is the foundation of joy. And it is interesting to see the world's version of entertainment that is based largely upon fiction. Even when they try to do historical fiction, it still ends up being fiction. Uh, Every time Hollywood tries to do something historical, it's amazing if you hear the people actually involved how disgusted they are with their story being portrayed in entertainment. Uh, And that's true across the board. I uh, one of our favorite movies is The Sound of Music. Uh, but if you have ever seen the interviews of the Von Trapp children, they are disgusted by that movie because of how it portrays their father. They said there's not anything like that. And it was, it was a front to them. And so entertainment is based upon lies. It's about frivolity. It's, it's, it's empty, it's void of any real significance. Uh, and one of our other favorite movies, this is another historical, you notice we like historical stuff, um, is, uh, <laughs> now I'm not going to remember the title of it, and it's one of our hymns, Wilbur Wilberforce, what's the, Amazing Grace, thank you, and but you realize that amazing, and they sing "Amazing Grace" in the movie at his wedding, which is completely impossible because the music wasn't added to the things until well after Wilbur Force was dead, so they could not have sung it at his wedding, right? And so uh, we just shrug our shoulders and "Well, it wasn't quite like that," because entertainment fundamentally is empty. Joy is full of truth. I hadn't planned any of that, so let's keep going, because that had nothing to do with the sermon. (sighs) So, we want to be serious, and that doesn't mean that you can't have joy and, and enjoyment, but that is very different than entertainment. So, we're not here to entertain you. We're here to strengthen you and give you a foundation for your joy, to rest your hope fully upon the grace. And, of course, we talked last week about being obedient children and that responsibility, that if you call God your Father then you should be obeying him as his children. And that can come in a couple of different ways. Uh, Early on in our immaturity, uh, children obey their parents out of fear. They really do. And we talked about that. That as they mature, they should be obeying and honor their parents out of thanksgiving. And similarly, it is with us in our walk with God. That as we mature, it is less of a fearful expectation as much as it is a thankfulness, but there is still a fearfulness involved. And that is there at the end of verse 17. But we also have tucked in here something we address, and that is to be holy as I am holy. That in our conduct there should be holiness. And we took a lot of time to talk about what holiness is not because of how it is imagined by us. That we imagine be holy for I am holy means I have to be perfect and sinless. And that is not the context of the passage in Leviticus where this is quoted from. It is not the context here. It is about being set apart, being different in your conduct. Different from who? Well, different from the, who you were. Different from who you were before Christ. Different from the world. Being different. Being set apart. That is what holy means. Just as God is distinctly and, and by definition different than all of creation. He is the creator. We are the creation. So we who call God our Father should be different from the, than the world. We should be like our Father. And we saw that in John extensively where Jesus confronts the multitude and says, I do the works of my Father in heaven. You're doing the works of your Father, the devil. Your works evidence who your Father is. And he says, be separate, be holy. That is, be set apart, be distinct. It does not be perfect and be sinless because then we all fail and we can never attain to this instruction of the Lord. It is rather that we be set apart to him. We have dedicated our lives to him. And this is, that we just come off of the new year and everyone wants to make resolutions and rededicate decisions. And that is great. By the way, we have the Bible reading schedule. We still have some. And it's not too late to start Bible reading through the year. All you have to do is sit down this afternoon and read eight chapters. Six of them in Genesis and one in First Psalm 1 and Matthew 1. And you'll be caught up through today. So don't think it's too late. Oh, it's the third. Um, grab a Bible reading schedule and make that commitment. Read through the Bible this year. Who knows, you might like to do it every year. It doesn't get old because it's a big book. Some, and some chapters still surprise me after all these years. Are we dedicated to God? Be holy. Holiness to the Lord. That is, I'm dedicated, I'm set apart to Him. And so that is the foundation that we are building off of. Now, out of all of this, we now come to verse 18. Remember, it is conditioned on if you call on the Father. And uh, and we talked about a little bit different interpretation maybe of that. Instead of that being like your prayer life, it says, well, if you call on the Father, it sounds like praying. It really says if you Call on him as your father. If you call God your father, well, conduct yourself like it. Act like he's your father. Don't just use your mouth and say he, God is your father. Act like it. With fear, it says that you conduct yourself um, because you know that he is a righteous judge. Without partiality, judges according to each one's work. And yes, that is described in Revelation that that we will be judged according to our works. What is wood, hay, and stubble gets burned up and worthless and then there's the gold, silver, and precious stones that endure. We're going to be talking about gold and silver. I know you talked about that in Sunday school quite a bit this morning for the adults and uh, we're going to press that a little bit farther today uh, as Peter does here. And so we are told to if you call God your father, if you say, I believe in God, and he is my father, you claim a personal relationship with the father. And this is what Peter wants to develop. Because remember, the Jews all considered God their father. Okay, They had that relationship. He's a Jehovah. He's the I am. We are his children. We are his chosen ones. Well, Peter's going to pick that up, and he's going to say, listen, if that's what you want to say, and now, of course, At this point in history, we have the church coming, and now we have Gentiles claiming God as their father. He said, if that's what you want to say, that the one true and living God, the creator of all the earth, is your heavenly father, you're going to call on him like that, then you better back that up by your living. And he says, God's going to judge your works. He's not going to judge that you just walk around and say, God is my father. He's going to judge, well, what did you do about it? Were you obedient children? you call him your father and you're disobedient to his commands it's a lie and he can't be deceived he will judge you without partiality you aren't gonna pull one over on him at all so we come to now the foundation of this and and verse 18 begins with a very important word that connects us back up to verse 13 and that is knowing do you see it there first word knowing where do you know things Do you know things in your spleen, in your tummy? No, that's where you feel things. Uh, You decide things in your heart. Where do you know things? In your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. And so here it is. I'm going to call God my Father. And so why does my conduct have to agree with that? And why should there be a little fear involved? Well, knowing something. Here's what we know. That you have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. So we begin and Peter picks this up. Now, we have a couple of perspectives we can take with regard to this phraseology that he uses here. Uh, If Peter is writing only to the Jewish community as some propose, then some other things might come into our mind. Uh, might come into our mind when Jesus enters into the temple area and he begins to scatter the money changers. He says, you have turned my house of prayer into a den of thieves. And the whole idea that this gold and silver, that you are trying to uh, uh, make a profit out of worship, is, is abhorrent to God. Of all the times Jesus Christ gets violent, it's over that. Profiteering over worship. Can you imagine if he showed up in a lot of our churches today? Oh, my. Profiteering over worship. That we take silver and gold and we begin to say, well, I can please God by, buying, by spending more silver and gold to buy a better sacrifice. And then, of course, the silver and gold of the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire is not adequate, or the Egyptians, wherever you came from, uh, you have to transform. Uh, you have to trade that in for, for temple shekels. And, of course, the exchange rate is always really bad against you during Passover and Day of Atonement, things like that, uh, festivals like that. And so they're they profiteering off of worship. And so Jesus Christ goes in there and he just cleanses the temple. And, says, and what is his accusation? Is you, for you, it's all about gold and silver. And this is supposed to be a place of prayer. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ describes the temple as a place of prayer when most of the activity going on was a place of sacrifice? Jesus Christ says this is primarily a house of prayer. I'm not sure that most of our churches are predominantly houses of prayer. Other things, but very seldom houses of just of prayer as the predominant activity. That 's how Jesus Christ describes so if you want to take verse 18 as talking to the scattered remnant of, of Jewish believers, you can certainly it should certainly in your mind take you to that. Um, if you want to include the Gentile community, uh, boy that's a pretty simple one when we have it should immediately take you to other things like Peter's engagement I 'm sorry Paul's engagement uh, where with uh, Simon Magus, and, uh, that says, let your money perish with you. Who says, I want to buy the Holy Spirit so whoever's I lay hands on can receive the Holy Spirit. Can I, can I pay you for that, for that authority to lay hands on people that they could receive the Holy Spirit? Well, that sounds like a pretty good thing, but what was the response? May your money perish with you over the very concept that you can buy and sell the authority of ministry. Oh, that we would have a similar attitude to disconnect the concepts of, of profit and business with the activity of our worship. For we are not redeemed, and redeemed is a monetary term. Okay, so I, he's using a very, a very economic term here. Redemption is to buy back. <laughs> it is, it is to, to reinstate, usually with a financial thing. Uh, with a financial payment involved. And he says, Listen, but your redemption, even though it's an economic statement, a word, is not with silver and gold. You've gotten this tradition from others. You can look at idolatry and how idols were often out of it. You can think of Paul going into Ephesus and what was the problem? The silversmiths were losing money. That was not a religious question. It was an economic question because as people became Christians, they got rid of all their idols. They stopped buying new idols and and the silversmiths were feeling the pinch. So they created a riot. Imagine. People financially, wealthy people, financially disadvantaged, created a riot. See, nothing's new under the sun. Okay? Nothing is new. Oh, that we would recognize to disconnect ourselves from the silver and gold in our worship. And of course, because Peter is writing this, another event that should kind of pop into your mind when you read this, and for Peter writing this, this these are words Peter has spoken before. That as he was going into the temple shortly after the birth of the church and being confronted with a lame man begging, hey Gave him this answer. Now, we have a nice little song that we have the children sing about this event. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. How many of you know that song? Oh, let's sing it. Peter and John went to pray. Man on the way. Loudest. Is. This is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I None. But such as I have, give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And then he, walking and leaping and praising God. That's the fun part. We can't sing that today because we're not happy. No, we're sober. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I do have, I give to you. These are the words Peter spoke in the midst of ministry to communicate something to a beggar doing his job. That was the job if you were invalid in some way, whether blind or or in this case a lame man. Your responsibility was to go to the temple and to sit and wait for alms. And part of the requirement of people going into worship wasn't only to have their sacrifice for their sins before the altar, but also to be prepared. The giving of alms was part of their worship. And so caring for the poor was part of your worship as you went into the temple. And Peter walks by, and being a responsible worshiper, recognizes he has a responsibility this man, but he says, I'm silver and gold. I'm not, I don't have that, uh, but I have something better. Although we understand the value of ministry over the value of silver and gold. Peter communicated that that day very early on in his ministry. It is no surprise to see it here in his writing. Here is something you should know. You were boughten. You have been boughten, not by silver and gold. They're corruptible. That is, they fade away. They they change in value. And as we talked about in Sunday school, the gold and and precious jewels and all of that, that, that that garnished the temple also became the bait that brought Babylon in. And it could be carried away. It could be destroyed. That the Bronze, the, the magnificent bronze altar of the temple period, of Solomon's temple, was just broken to pieces for the value of the metal. Is talk about recycling. Recycling's been around for a long time, too. Um, gone. Do we trust in these things? No. We are redeemed. We are purchased. Not with things of this world that are of... of changing value and of, and of unreliable nature. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Why is silver and gold valuable? It is valuable because of its rarity. That's all really that makes things valuable is we associate rarity with them. Uh, and and that's why, as our government keeps printing more and more currency, it becomes less valuable <laughs> because there's just too much of it. That is how economy works. Uh, and it should concern you when the government just prints off more. It doesn't even print it anymore. They just send it into your account. And, you know, where does a trillion dollars come from? Eventually, right now, a trillion dollars doesn't buy what it used to buy. Value is based upon scarcity. Rarity. Is it rare? And the more rare, the more valuable it is. Well, silver and gold have a level of scarcity, but it's probably not as scarce as you think. It's in most all of your electronic devices that you weren't allowed to bring here today. There's a little bit of silver and a little bit of gold in there to be the conductors within the uh, microchips that are there. Um, But when you think about what is truly scarce. There is one commodity that cannot be replicated is the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the one and only, the only begotten of the Father. And so we are redeemed with the most scarce, most rare commodity ever known to man the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. That while Israel's running around trying to buy an appropriate lamb at Passover, the Lamb of God was in their midst and they cried out, crucify him. While they were exchanging goods for services and exchanging money at the money tables and trying to get a sacrifice because it's easier to carry gold from the far reaches of, of their dispersion than it is to carry a lamb all that distance so they would buy one there. While they were doing all that, Jesus was teaching in the temple the perfect lamb of God who was about to shed his blood for their sin once for all. And oh, how eloquently hebrews puts it that he was the final sacrifice he is the better one he is superior to the blood of bulls and goats he's superior to every sacrifice ever made because he is the perfect son of god and so peter says listen you should be thinking about something what did my relationship with god as his child cost my father Do you know this? Yes, you do, superficially. Do you meditate on it? Because this will transform your life, meditating on this kind of truth. It will bring a soberness to you, won't it? When we think of how costly this gift is. That God loved us so much, he sent his one and only only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross, shedding His blood to cover our sin. That our redemption is tied in His death. But redemption wasn't all that there was. There's also an inheritance we already studied here in 1 Peter 1, and that inheritance is tied to His resurrection and ascension, remember. But our redemption is in His shed blood. And this is why He came. He came to do that for us. And as we Meditate on that. There has to be a sober-mindedness. God was willing to spend so much to deliver me from my nasty, evil mind, body, and soul. How can I not live for him? And this is where we come to obedience out of thankfulness. Because I know how much he paid for me. Or at least I think I do. But if we haven't meditated on it substantially, we don't really know. And, and that's why we are called to. Peter says, listen, you know that it wasn't the traditions of your fathers. It wasn't the idols. It wasn't the purchased sacrifices. It wasn't, all, it wasn't the almsgiving. It wasn't any of that that redeemed you. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ that is your redemption. Why is the communion table so precious to us to remember that what it cost for us to be saved, for me to have this access to God, to be able to call God my father and be treated as his son came at extraordinary price to the father, not to me. I can't buy it. I have no resources available to me that can measure up to the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing on this earth could do what only he could do, and that is to once for all resolve the sin issue inside of me. This is our most precious possession. is that I am redeemed, I am God's by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I have taken... (laughs) Strangely, I have, I have taken possession of him as my master and by giving him possession of me, his child. Oh, that's sober thinking. But it is also joyful. Because consider how great a love the Father had for you to send his son to die for you. And now, not only can I be weighed by the costliness of my salvation. I can also be rejoicing in the love that willingly paid the price. We have an opportunity in in most of the world in this week to celebrate Three Kings Day and the giving of gifts, the following of a star and the giving of gifts. And we look at the gold and frankincense and myrrh and we talk about their costliness. But I'm pretty sure if you had interviewed any of the Magi, however many there were of them, whether there was three or thirty, we don't know. But the Magi, they arrived, um, they wouldn't have thought of that as being overly generous. They were glad to do it. Because they knew who they were doing it for. And God was glad to do this for us because he loved us. I am glad to spend ridiculous amounts of money for my spouse. Uh, all she has to do is just drop a hint that she wants something, and I'm going to find everything I can to make that happen. So far, uh, Lord bless her. She hasn't asked for anything that has bankrupted me. <laughs> She's a really good wife. <laughs> Let's go to thrift town and get what I want. There like go. I don't think it'll break me there. And Dollar Tree, this is like her favorite store Dollar Tree, so I'm like, okay, well, I can go there. But all she has to do is mention it. And I don't want to get her anything but the best. And she has to temper that in me. Say, don't go overboard. That's what she says to me, don't go overboard. Because she knows that Because I love her, I want to expend everything for her. The Father went overboard for you because He loves you a lot more than you love your children, your spouse, your parents. God loves you more. And He was extravagant in giving you access to His family. And that extravagance is the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is great joy in that truth that I have a position now in the family of God not because I bought it, not because I earned it, not because somehow I deserved it, but because God loved me so much he paid the price to buy me out of the slavery to sin that I've been in. And the perfect Lamb of God Without blemish and without spot, was the price. He happily paid. The anguish of our Savior, the Bible says, he endured with joy because he looked past the cross to our salvation and is raised up now in the presence of God in heaven on the throne. Where he intercedes for us daily. We are going to do further investigation of this wonderful Savior in the next few verses, and and then apply it to our holy standard that we are going to live differently. I'm going to live different than my past. I'm going to live different than my religious past even because the tradition of your fathers he's talking about here in verse 18 is your religious past where you were misguided in your worship. I'm going to be Christ-centered in my worship now. It's not no longer going to be about these other things. It's going to be focused on him and him uh, exalted in my worship. That I'm going to move into the family of God in my conduct as well as in my declaration of my mouth. Oh, that this would characterize us as a people of God. It is founded not upon how you feel today. It is founded not upon the traditions that you got from your fathers, whether religious or irreligious. They're not founded there. They're founded on knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. And if your claim to God is built upon anything other than Jesus Christ, that needs to be resolved today. I don't care if you have done every religious activity known to man in Christendom, but if your relationship, if you're claiming God as your father but you are not holy, set apart as he is holy, that if you have not trusted singularly in the work of the shed blood of Jesus Christ to remove your sin, if you're trusting in anything you have done, then you are misguided. You are not a true child of God. And we invite you to correct that today. To receive him as your Savior and Lord and to lay yourself out and say, Silver and gold do nothing. All of my efforts and energies do add nothing. I come empty-handed, and I come recognizing that all I bring to the table is sin and emptiness, misery and want. And I ask to be purchased into your kingdom by a price I can't pay. By the sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ, this is how we come into the family of God. No other means, no other door, no other window. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ do we re- are we redeemed, and it is in that that we trust, and it is that that we should meditate on. We want to help do that in at least one, if not two weeks to come, to focus in on who our Savior is and what he has accomplished for us. But notice again that as we jump forward, it is to purify our souls, to obey the truth, to love the brethren, to love one another. It it has application to our lives, but it is a foundation of knowledge. I know my Savior And the more I contemplate Him, the more I study Him, the more I reflect upon Him and meditate upon Him, the more it should be evident in my conduct that I don't want to be anything like what I was. I don't want to be anything like the world. I don't want to be anything like the devil. I don't want any of that in my life. I want to be more and more and more set apart to God in my life. Oh, that would be our prayer today. Going into... Not just this year, this decade, but into the balance of this day. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for your truth and for the way, the truth, and life, Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't appreciate enough your sacrifice what it costs you to save us. We take this for granted. We speak of it just as we speak of you as our Father without thinking. And Lord, you have commanded us to gird up our loins. Help us. We know your spirit will do that, your people, your word. Lord, help us to mold our thinking to your scriptures more and more each day. This day, Lord, help us that we might transform our lives. We might look more like you in this world than our old selves. Lord, we know that such activity will make us many enemies, and we pray for your protection, but more importantly, much more importantly, we pray for ministry, that men might see you in us and see the hope that we have because of the price has been paid. And ask us why. That we might direct them to you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.